Amy, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's um, great having you on. Thank you for having me. How did you start your entrepreneurial journey and where did the idea for the six-step program come from? So I got fired. I was waiting tables, trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I had been pretty miserable for a long time, but believe it or not, I made really great money waiting tables. And so it kept me there at the time. And one morning, one of my guests asked for oatmeal. And at this particular restaurant, we made things to order. And she said she was in a hurry and wanted me to speed it up and the whole thing. So being concerned about her time issue, I explained to her that we make the oatmeal from scratch and that it would take about 20 minutes to cook. And she said, okay. I would say like 9, 10, 11 minutes later, she starts doing the snap your fingers across the room, shouting, you know, where's my oatmeal thing? And I'm thinking, lady, you need to find some things in your life that are more important than oatmeal. But that's just an aside. So I walked over and I explained to her again that the oatmeal is made from scratch and it takes about 20 minutes and she's shouting, bring me my oatmeal now. So I walked over to the cook station and I said, she wants her oatmeal and they said, it's not fully cooked. I said, that's how she wants it. And I got fired that day. So that pretty much sent me into, I guess what I would call a two week journey of depression that led to an epiphany. <laughs> I remember, do you, have you ever been to California? USA is somewhere where I'd like to go at some point, but I haven't been. Okay, good. Well, there's this very famous street called Ventura Boulevard. You may have seen it in the movies. Anyway, I was on my way back home after the episode of being fired. And I, I remember thinking to myself, this is really bad. I'm really angry. I'm a loser. I have no money. I have no plans. I have no savings. I have no future. And the panic really set in. And the more I thought about the situation, the worse that it got. And I became so just unruly and depressed about it that I didn't get out of bed. You know, I drink water, go to the bathroom, eat very little, but I just didn't know how I'd gotten there. I had a college degree. I was smart. I remember crying, throwing things around, and I was really embarrassed. I mean, I didn't really want to talk about it with anyone because I'd gotten fired from a job that's fairly simple. So after about a week, it really, really hit me. I, I was listening to this song on the radio. I don't know if you remember, and I'm probably going to age myself right now, but it's called Freedom by George Michael. Do you remember that song? Do you know that song? I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with song names. I pro I've probably heard the song, but... To put the right? Well, I think I'm older than you, <laughs> so that <laughs> might be part of the problem. But anyway, it was all about freedom, and I just couldn't get the chorus out of my head. And mm -hmm. at some point during the day, the word freedom clicked. And I started to think about it. And suddenly I realized I was free. I hated that restaurant. I'd been unhappy there. I was settling every day I walked into that place and I was wasting time. I was obsessing about being fired, blaming other people and getting nowhere. So for me, the realization, like getting fired was freedom. It was this opportunity for me to create things that I really had dreamt about, but had been putting off. And if you think about it, Anyone who brings raw oatmeal to someone, I mean, in a way, if you believe in this, I got myself fired. I really chose that because I knew when I was bringing it to her that it wasn't really going to go down well for me. So that failure really opened up a world of possibilities for me. So that's how I became an entrepreneur. So, so you really, really jumped into it. Do you think it was partly your subconscious that made you bring that oatmeal to that lady? Yeah. 
I mean, 100%. I think we absolutely do exactly what we want to do in life. We choose things for whatever reasons. I just don't think I was in touch with it at the time. So I think it's fair to say I, I knew I didn't want to be there. It was something that I complained about. And so when you make a choice like the one that I made, it ends in that result, which was obviously something that I wanted to bring about. And when I look back on it, that's like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Getting fired is what I put pen to paper and started to, you know, designing what I wanted my first business to look like. And that was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. I never worked for somebody else again, ever. And that was a really long time ago. Yeah, I find it fascinating. You know, it sounds like it was really through, through necessity that you were able to, to get yourself out of um, that two-week slump and sort of force yourself to make another choice, you know, because it really could have gone both ways, right? You, you took the harder option to, to live your life and you're sort of now reaping the rewards from it all. Yes, 100%. And I mean, full transparency, it's not like I was suicidal or not wanting to live. It wasn't about it, but I was really in a slump and I really felt like, Optionless, and I focused so much on the problem, which was my embarrassment and upset about being fired and why I did it and being hard on myself and trying to find blame that I wasn't focused on, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Like, mm. what's, what am I going to actually do? And so when I had the epiphany, you know, that's what happened. It was like, enough, I'm done. This isn't getting me anywhere. So let's choose the alternative, which is to focus on the solution which sounds easy, but in the moment, sometimes letting go of the problem is not, not an easy task. No, no, it's um, definitely not, not an easy task. And it's, I love how it was, it was just through listening through a song and focusing on that one word of freedom that enabled you to, to realize that you, what, what, you, what you actually had was freedom and was opportunities. And you could do what you wanted. Yeah, we get so stuck, don't we? It's so easy to get stuck and, and, I think we get stuck and then sometimes we get unstuck and then stuck again in whatever pattern or job or even entrepreneurial endeavor we're in. We forget that, you know, I was having this conversation with my husband recently and saying, I really want to go to France. I've been wanting to go there for a really long time. I want to go stay there for a summer. So a solid month and a half, six weeks, two months, something like that, so that I can experience the culture. Mm -hmm. But we keep coming up with reasons why it's not convenient or we can't and this and that. And it's, there's no reason. There is no reason. I mean, the, the idea that you can literally change your entire life by just choosing something different and doing some of what keeps you where you're at and making new choices in the direction you want to go. And you could suddenly have a different life. Yeah, I think the life's really made up of all those little choices. Yeah. We make choices every day on how we're getting somewhere. And like I said, if there's a will, there's a way. If you really want to do something, the mind's an amazing tool that can be used to, to achieve greatness. Yeah, absolutely. Our beliefs and our perspectives completely shape our actions. And seeing those two beliefs and actions need to be in harmony. When they're not, we either sabotage ourselves or don't get the results that we want. What, are, what beliefs have you given up? What have, beliefs have you now proven false, I guess, along your journey so far that you found that, w w I guess, was keeping you back, but, but now after dropping them out? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I, I think I've got a few. I know for the longest time, my first business was a toy vending company and I went it alone, even though I didn't have, I had experience on how to get the accounts, but at the time that I 
did this endeavor, but I didn't have experience on running this kind of a business. And one of my sticker machines fell on a little boy and he was fine, it turned out, but it was a nightmare. I was a nightmare. (laughs) I was trying to do everything by myself. I didn't mount the stand properly. I could have killed this child. I didn't have business insurance. And so to answer your question, going it alone is definitely a belief that I uh, had to rethink. And I needed to choose that. It doesn't mean that you have to have multiple business partners, but that in running a successful business, you need team, you need support, you need help, mentorship, a board of mentors, or a formal board of advisors. It depends on how big of an outfit you are, but you need support. If you are the smartest person in your shop, and even more importantly, the only person in your shop, you'll only grow as, as big as you are. Yeah, I think that's um, it's invaluable. I guess any, anyone on, on their journey or, or thinking to start their journey is to consider who your support network is. That could be friends and family, but it's it's almost better, even better, to find a, a mentor or a couple of mentors that can help bounce ideas off, guide you, tell you, or suggest other ways of doing things so you, you don't make the same mistakes they did. I read a quote in a book recently that it's, that said it takes a village to to raise a mind. Yeah, I think I think that statement's. Couldn't be truer for for, um, entrepreneurship. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there is just, there is no doing it alone. And and I think there's all sorts of different types of mentors. And I like how you, you know, created different categories of them. I think the most important thing is that they're supportive, encouraging, and intelligent in the areas you're asking for support in. And I think that's where people go wrong. You really need to think up when you're bringing your mentors on. People who are smarter in the areas that you are not so that you really get that knowledge base and not just professional development. So that personal development is continuing as well. You have to keep thinking outside of your own box and you cannot do that if you're limited to your own perspectives. Yeah, because I think it's hard to, a second opinion on, on who we are as people or as a person um, is invaluable. <laughs> yes. Who we think we are, <clears throat> but it's not until we, we get it from a different perspective to sort of understand who we are. Yeah, and how we impact others, ourselves, how we land on other people, how that impacts the relationship, whether we grow or we don't. Agreed, 100%. How did you come across your, your mentors through your journey? Did you reach out to people? Did people reach out to you? I basically turned away mentors for a really long time. And after that sticker machine incident, I realized that that was not going to work at all because I had a failing business. I didn't have money at that time. This was my, my very first business was a toy vending company. And I did not know what I was doing, but I pretended that I did because I was young. I was in my twenties and I was, a, I guess the twenties know it all. <laughs> Maybe I just don't think I'm the only one. I'd like to give it a term. So there's other people who, are, who fall into that category. But, um, you know, at the point where that all happened, I had two choices, give up or swallow my pride and ask for help. So I did. My very first mentor was my dad. So here's the thing that's so funny is he's been an entrepreneur since he was 19. So similar situation to what you experienced in your family. Mm -hmm. I I think I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur, but you know, I wasn't ready. I was doing my own thing. I was a bit rebellious. My dad said I should be. I said no, simply because he said that I should. It was that whole thing. So when I finally did it, I really went it alone. So then I basically sucked up my pride and said, I need help. And he said, you need a team and you need mentors and you need, and it doesn't have to be me. And 
he was right. And so I shut my mouth and I listened. And it was from that point forward that I brought on a board of mentors, which was, they were all, it was free advisors for me. I thought about the areas in my business that I really needed insight in the marketing area, in sales. You know, I really thought about the areas that I felt deficient. And I started to look to friends and family and people that I know who were experts in that area. I also hired a consultant or a coach or whatever. I don't, people call it something different in different areas of the world, but that was a new concept for me. But I decided I, that mentally I knew, even though it took me a while to admit it, that my biggest hangup was the way that I was thinking about things. It was my perspective. Just thinking that having mentors meant that I was weak. That's an interesting belief. Where did I get that? So that personal transformation was a piece of it too. Do you find even these days you have to relook at what you're believing in or discuss what you're believing in with your mentors to make sure you're not yeah. doing the same thing again in a different fashion? Yes. I, I, <laughs> Go for it. What were you going to say? No, I, I was going to say, I think the, the personal self-development journey is a journey that never really ends. And you think you've, you understand it all once you've, you've accomplished or gone over a few hurdles, but really there's more hurdles in front of you. And it's important to always recheck in. And like you said, swallow the ego, swallow the pride. Yeah, and develop a healthy way of thinking. So for, you know, for me, I dove in before I became a coach and a guided meditation specialist. I dove in. So I am not a newbie in this area of personal development. So it was at that time, you know, 20 plus years ago that I dove into personal development. I got certified in hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming and communications development and behavior techniques and spent a ridiculous amount of money getting educated, not just for myself, but then how I would, could extend that to others. But that journey of learning how to broaden your perspective, you know, once you shift your perspective, it doesn't come back. You don't suddenly, it's, it's kind of like once we found out that the world was round and not flat, you don't go backwards. Mm. So what I love about personal development is, you know, once you've learned how to broaden your perspective or what questions to ask, you always have that. It doesn't mean that you don't lose your way, but you always have that to reflect back on if you use it as a practice. So for me, one of my, one of the, my most favorite people that I learned from was a woman named Byron Katie. Are you familiar with her? I'm not, no. What does she, what does she do? She's a, you know, a self-help guru, if you will. And she's got a practice and she's got a book called Loving What Is. And she asks four questions and we don't need to get into all the questions, but the first question and the most important question is, is it true? And as we speak in life about, oh, but you can't do that because it's like that, or I can't do that because of this, or, you know, we create all these things. We say all these things all the time. And then we say they're true. Mm. We say them like they're true without ever taking a moment to say, is that true? Where did I even get that? And just that, that simple question, it shifts so much if you're willing to look at it. I mean, think about a population of people, perhaps, that's racist or against a certain religion or if they ask themselves for a minute, is it true my beliefs about these people or this person? Is it actually true? And where did I get those beliefs? Where did they come from? What are they rooted in? And when we start to analyze our own beliefs, we can start to see what actually, how we then translate that into actions that sabotage us. Does that make sense? 
Definitely. It's um, whatever we think about internally, you know, consciously and subconsciously directs our actions, whether we know it or not. And once you begin to challenge those beliefs in what you're doing, and it's a great question, is it true? You know, is it, is it the reality or is it, is it fiction? Am I making this story up? That's right. Or did someone hand it to me as their story mm-hmm. and I took it that, you know, that it was true. I like to make a distinction in my book between the way that you think and your belief systems, like thoughts and thinking. And for me, thoughts are, it's chatter, it's stuff that floats by and, you know, you hear things all the time and it's in your subconscious and your conscious and then it's traveling out. And thinking are the, those thoughts that we actually attach ourselves to, that we say this is true. And in the moment that we say this is true, it becomes part of our belief system or our, our thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff we have to mind, not the occasional, you know, I'm scared. I don't know if I'm good enough. I mean, those thoughts come and go. It's whether we attach ourselves to them or not. Yes, whether we believe in them or not. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Sometimes you have to go back, not just, you know, last week or a year, but sometimes you've got to go back to a long way to find where those beliefs started from. They, they, they yeah. may from from your childhood, potentially. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about your thinking, most of it is how you were socialized, what you heard. I mean, it depends on what you believe happens inside the womb, <laughs> right? <laughs> but once you come out, for the most part, we're pretty free of thought. And then all of a sudden, it all starts to happen. And so we adopt these beliefs based on them being handed down. And then we're 40 and we're in therapy and we can't figure out why we don't think we're good enough. And that's depressing. But if we teach children at an early level to actually question their own beliefs or just merely teach them that they have a choice about what they believe, Mm. their whole life would open up to them. Yeah, teach them to take sort of some ownership or some responsibility at a young age of of their life instead of getting it handed down from, um, from others, whether that be society or friends. Yeah. And we can start early. I mean, I have a five-year-old right now and our conversations consistently consist of, I understand that you are saying you're not going to have fun at camp today, but do you understand that's a choice and that you can just as easily choose to have a fantastic time today? You know, and we do it in action too. Like for example, right now, honey, I am going to tickle you. I'm going to turn on the music. I am choosing to create a fun mood and I show her how I'm creating that. And then I equally, on the other side, show her how I can, by focusing on something negative that maybe she did, can create kind of a nasty space for both of us. And it's amazing what they pick up this young. Yeah. Has there been any sort of big moments that you thought that she wouldn't pick up on that she has? Like, what's the effect? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she coaches me. It's really quite funny. You know, so if I'm bummed out or I'm acting nasty or being a human, you know, she'll say, you know, mom, you can choose to be happy right now if you want. So she's, she's getting it. That's, that's incredible. Isn't it? And then I look at her and I just have to go, oh, you're so right. Let's go turn the music on. I want to kill her because, you know, I want to just sulk in my, you know, I just want to stew in my stuff, but it's funny. She's funny. Wow. So she, she's now calling you out on. on- that's right. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's one powerful, that's one powerful little human. It is, but you know, it takes us as parents and I always thought, I have to tell you, I'm 48 years old and I'm so glad I became a parent only five years ago because honestly, if I would have had her in my 20s, it would have been so bad for her because I was like, 
you know, dragon fire lady, I can accomplish the world, go getter ambition, but with all the ego and I've got it all figured out attached to it. And that would have been miserable for her. So she, she gets the benefit of all this transformation. Not that I behave in a transformed fashion 24 seven because I don't, but um, thankfully I've got her to call me out. <laughs> oh, we're, we're all human, but that's uh, not, I guess your, your daughter's benefiting from all the experience you've lived so far and all, all the lessons you've learned. And you I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> I'll report back to you in a few years. <laughs> How do you balance being a mom, a wife, entrepreneur, media personnel, business coach all at the same time? Another fantastic question. I don't. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, I'll tell you, having Michaela, my daughter, is what really shifted this thing for me. So um, I think balance is a funny word because what does it even mean? Like equal amounts of time to all the different things that you have in your life? I don't think it really works like that because everybody's idea of balance is different. So some people like to work more, some people like to work less. And it shifts depending on where you're at in life. But schedule is everything for me. It's everything. And so let me explain what I mean by it. It doesn't mean I'm staring at my calendar all day long or that if you and I are going to chat later tonight about X, Y, and Z that I then run to my calendar and write it down. That would be incredibly annoying. However, I do know how I'm going to spend my days. I know when I'm exercising. So I, I've figured out the things that are most important to me. I know when I'm going to do health activities or I know when my work hours are and I know when my free time is with my family. And I have very strict boundaries on those times. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't need reminders every once in a while. Like I have a deal with my daughter that during our time, if I somehow manage to get to my phone, she used to take it away from me. So these boundaries. So number one, calendaring your time and making sure that when you calendar time, you've actually created all the things that are important to you free time, health, all of those things that you say that you want to do. And then of course, following your schedule would be kind of step two there. But those boundaries are really critical because if you don't have a boundary, then what ends up happening is I'm supposed to be spending time with Michaela, but I'm texting someone. And so now I have irritable time with her where I feel like she's interrupting what I'm doing and she feels like she's not as important as my phone. And it ends up being that our time together wasn't quality time. So why I should have just chosen to work. Yeah, doing because, that one single, one single task instead of half doing both. That's right. So being present is another piece of it for sure. And so then some people might say, well, okay, how do you, like, I want to spend time with her. She's five. So I end my days at 4.30 because that's my choice. That's what I want. And then I spend the whole evening until we go to bed with her. I do not work on weekends unless it's like an emergency. I have some deadline and I've asked both my husband and my daughter, mommy needs to do this. Are you guys cool with it? So we're in agreement. But for the most part, I don't work weekends. I stop at a certain time. And what that forces me to do, because I take that free time, is it really forces me to prioritize what I do do when I'm in the office. And one of the things that you had said was, what are some of those beliefs that you don't believe to be true or that you thought you thought were true that aren't. And one of them was working hard. 
I thought if I, I've worked really hard for a lot of years. And when I started to work smart, which sounds so cliche, but it is so true. And working smart is doing the stuff that matters most, that will move the needle in your business. Yes, yeah, so doing, doing, doing the most important tasks first, even if they seem like huge, difficult tasks, but by prioritizing them instead of um, procrastinating on them. You've That's been- right. That's right. Like sales, you know, people, I mean, there's, there's a whole mindset around sales and God, we could do full seminars on that. But those priorities, I can work two hours in a day. And if I was working on business development, like making a relationship that would result in some partnership or something that would connect others to say my product or service or something that I will, that's better than me doing something administrative. Mm-hmm. You know, cause the to-do list is never going to stop. You have this to-do list. It's always got stuff on it. Some people get nauseous when they look at their to-do list and they're always trying to just check things off. I'm never just trying to check things off. I am always starring the items that must get done today and doing those first. It's a, it's, it's a powerful habit. Did you take you a while to develop that, that habit? I don't know. I'm trying to remember when I started that habit. I've been doing it for a long time, but okay, I'm sorry. That's not true. I've been, I had my to-do list, the prioritization probably seven years ago, mm-hmm. maybe seven years ago. So I probably spent a good 15 not doing that, doing BS stuff that doesn't actually move my business forward. You know, sure. I'm going to pre- pretty my website again. I'm going to, it's like, what? I mean, get out there and share what you have or you cannot transform people's beliefs and actions and you got to get out there. Do you think it was part of part ego, part pride that made you do all the sort of the administrative tasks so you, you felt like you were making progress? Was it the illusion of progress? Yes. Being busy does not mean that you are successful. And so I'm not sure. I'm just trying to think what was leading me at that time. I think I was just avoiding the stuff that I decided or chose was either difficult or scary. Was it in hindsight then that those difficult or scary tasks were really just opportunities, were really just opportunities just described in a different way? Oh, they were definitely opportunities. They, what, what needed to happen was I needed a new perspective. So we'll use sales as an example because in the early, early part of my career, I in, in, at different times might have avoided that. And it's a huge problem for the good majority of my clientele because they have a thing in their head, especially women. It, you know, they don't want to sound like a used car salesman and they don't want to thrust something down someone's throat. And so as soon as we dive into what sales really is, instead of the belief that they have around it, that's not serving them at all. And we begin to shift their perspective on it, then it's not scary anymore. And they can step into it pretty powerfully. Mm. What perspective do you find that you communicate with others that they, uh, of sales? Sales is about sharing the incredible offerings that you have. I mean, if you go and you look at your business, whatever it is, a product-based business, a service-based business, you created something to either solve a problem or provide, a, fulfill a desire, want, need, something like that. I mean, you were excited about it. And if you don't actually get out in the world and share it, whether it's through your own voice or it's through a staff or it's through marketing or it's through networking, if you don't share it, then nobody gets the benefit. So what I really try to do is move people over to what is the value that you provide and why have you decided that by 
sharing that value with someone, you sound like a used car salesman. So then we dive in and we're able to start, I'll listen to them. Like, how would you go out there and talk about this? Like, take me through your sales process. And then we uncover, that's where all the nonsense is. Whether it's the belief systems or it's their approach, you know, they went to a networking event and then someone said, what do you do? And they came up with some off-putting 30-second commercial that didn't feel comfortable for them and they didn't know how to nurture the relationship first. And so what happens is when you look at what's going on with somebody's belief systems around an obstacle and you really dig in and start to analyze and ask the next question, you really reveal what the real issues and problems are. And then you can just start solving them. And then the belief, the nasty belief ends up dissipating. That was kind of a long-winded answer. Did that make sense? It did, yes. Yeah. So, so basically having a deep dive into what they're believing in, un- uncovering what the, what the actual problem is. Yeah. What, once you know and what the actual problem is, then you can start working towards that. In, that's in right. Overcoming that, that problem. As opposed to the problem of, I don't know how to do sales or I don't That's know. right. That's it. You just nailed it. That's exactly it. Because that's what so many consultants and coaches and people are out there trying to solve is that. You know, I don't make enough money. Okay, well, let's figure out why. Mm. Because if you don't do that, then what are we actually working on? And it's going to be unique to people. But, but if you don't get to the bottom of it, then you absolutely won't solve it. Yeah, so it's really, it's really going back you know, to, to the cause of, of mm-hmm. what, not just the symptoms. And the symptoms might be the belief systems of it. That's right. And it's, it's a combo. It's going to be mm-hmm. the way they think about it. It's going to be certain actions that they're taking because of the way that they think about it. So you have to basically reframe and rebuild all of that, which sounds like a daunting process, but in all actuality, it's pretty invigorating. It's pretty freeing to be able to let go of looking at it this way, look at it this other way, and that other way is never to go try to sell a vacuum to somebody who doesn't have carpet. Mm. And I guess you, you, said, you said it's a lot of hard work, but it, I guess it's better than the alternative, which is to, to keep doing what you're doing and keep having those. Fail. It's the, it's the failure over and over. Mm. And, then they, and then they feel defeated. And, you know, I've been there. And then you give up. And so entrepreneurship, as you know, is already hard. It's hard. I mean, statistics show why you know, that there's a very small percentage that actually win and keep their businesses alive past five years. So it's already hard. So you don't want your personal development issues, your perceptions, your beliefs, and then your actions because of those to ruin your chances from the beginning. I'd like to to touch on um, your sort of view on on exercise, meditation as well, how that that can help you uh, with your personal self-development. So is it something you feel like that, needs to be done for entrepreneurs? Can entrepreneurs get away with not, um, not looking after their body? Or is it also connected? No. no, they can't because at the end of the day, stress will end up just destroying you. And, you know, what I learned when I first started, which was a little over 20 years ago, I was one of the first coaches. This was like before there was an international coaching federation. We have that here in the U.S. I don't know what you have there, but there was Tony Robbins. I mean, that's, that's what there was in this, this field. And so I started my own business based on my own ideas about how change could come about and then success. I didn't start off coaching people in business at all. I basically created this six-step process that I believed 
was the way to create change. And I took on some pro bono clients and I practiced and we got incredible results. And it was from there that my business was born. And somehow, you know, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses and I've got plenty of weaknesses, but one of my strengths is really understanding people. And I think just intuitively, I always knew that it is a holistic approach. You have to be dealing with all of it because if a woman won't go sell because she's doesn't feel good, doesn't have energy, is overweight and not feeling confident, then we have problems. If you're going to try to sell something and you don't believe that you're ever going to be successful anyway, or that you're good enough, or you think, you know, whatever assortment of negative thoughts you may have that are happening, it's going to impact your results. So there was no putting somebody through a program where we weren't dealing with just as much personal development as professional development. What I found over time for years that we did a lot of belief work, but I kind of got the guided meditation bug later in my career. So it's only been, oh, Aiden, I can't remember. I want to say seven years that I launched. I began the process of writing my own meditation, guided meditation scripts for very specific problems that I was dealing with with my clients. Mm -hmm. Because what I wanted to do was I wanted to reinforce what we were talking about in terms of looking at new perspectives. Because believe it or not, you can shift thinking just as much verbally as you can through some mental practice like meditation. But you want to cement it. You really want to cement that change. And so I thought this would be an incredible tool to be able to bring to people that would support what I'm already doing. So I'm going to put you through my program and then you are going to every night be working and practicing this meditation every day so that we're cementing it. Not just like affirmations, like really cementing. These are the beliefs that will get you where you want to go and we need to encourage them throughout the day. So that's really what, you know, how this was born. Did I answer your question? <laughs> Uh, a, a bit of a tangent, but still, still valuable. Um, <laughs> still valuable for so the audience. No, I guess. Okay, if I go back to your question, no, I do not believe that you can be successful, truly successful, and not mind your body and your mind. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of people in the world who make lots of money, who could care less about those things. But I guess it really comes back down to what you believe success is. Yeah, and it's probably different for everyone what they mm -hmm. define success to be. Um, mm -hmm. I find, for me personally, it's probably less, for me it's it's less about the materials. In fact, the materials don't play any real part in in what I define success as. Success for me, I guess, for the audience is really being the best that I can be every day, and mm. you know, working towards the best that I can be. If I, if I can do that, then that's that's success for me. And doesn't that just change everything as you evaluate yourself in your life? It does. And it's also one of those things that never really ends either because as I grow as a person, you know, the definition of who I could be and who I'm becoming goes further out into the future. So it's always, there's never an end point is what I'm saying. I'm never going to get to a point where I'm going. Right. Right. Well, because it's a commitment for you. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a long journey towards um, improving oneself. 
Yeah, that's where I see a big difference between, so I call them commitment statements versus affirmations, because for me, an affirmation is like, I am beautiful. And you kind of Mm. bludgeon your brain with saying that, but that doesn't mean that you resonate with it or believe it or relate to it. But like what you're doing is you're, you're committing every day to being your best self and treating people a certain way. And those are commitments. They take action. They require action in order to become they are much, um, so I've got a printout on my, um, near my computer that lists, here's what I'm committing to and here's how I'm going to meet those commitments. Yeah. Meet them every I love day. It. That's incredible. It's, yeah, it's always, always fresh in my mind. And, and, and at the end of every day, I go back and I revisit and go, okay, did I, my commitments right. and my values, did I meet them, you know, at a score out of 10? What number did I, did I hit it? And, you know, some days might be 9 out of 10, some days might be 4 out of 10, but then I reflect right. and realise what can I be doing better the next day so that that four out of 10 turns into an eight out of 10? That's incredible that you've turned that into a daily practice. Yeah, it's um, only something I've done over probably over the last month or so, actually. Love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, so hopefully um, hopefully the, the audience can, can pick up a few things and a great reframe. Absolutely. And it's a guide. I mean, you know, if we just conduct our life with no rules of conduct of behavior that don't have to be rooted in your own rules about who you want to be and how you want to show up and how you want to impact people and how you want them to be impacted by you. And so the fact that you have, that you're projecting that is, um, you know, it, it takes commitment to do that. I totally applaud that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like you said, it's not, it's not based in any religion or any practice, you know, and it's really, it's really personal. So everybody can, or I encourage everyone to do their, um, I guess, their own form of, of what they, they value and what they believe in. Yeah. And, you know, see, see if you can serve, serve yourself and even better if you can serve others as well. Yeah. And we it, just started with my five-year-old, this new hmm. practice where we started like six months ago. Every month we go through her room, which is always a disaster, and we select toys to give away or things or to other kids. And... Uh, that's a commitment that she's made and it's pretty uh, neat to watch. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Cause what the, the lessons that that's going to teach. Her. I hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, I'll have to circle back with you on that in a few yeah, years. Yeah. See how it goes in another six months or, you know, a couple of years, but exactly. In, in theory, it should work to, to yes. divorce yourself of materialistic possessions and you go, you know, how can I help yeah. else? That's right. We're not attached. It's no big deal. Hmm. I'm just going to go down the road of uh, sort of asking about materialistic possessions. For the women that you help, do you find that they focus less on materialistic, or focus less on the, on the material side of things, so buying more, more stuff to make them feel better and instead focus on themselves to feel better? Mm, as a result of our work together? Yes. You know, I try not to judge what a woman wants when they come to me. Typically, they want something. There's a problem, and on the other side of the problem is the thing that they want that they don't have, and that's why there's a problem. And often what I find is that it, it, typically it has to do with money. Typically what I find is that women get in touch with not only what they really want, okay, not what someone else said that they should want or what they learned that they should want, or what somebody else wants for them. But when they really get in touch with how they want to live their life and what they want, then we are able to honestly assess what it would take for them to have that. 
Like let's really, you know, sometimes people dive into an entrepreneurial endeavor, if you will, without really thinking about what their day-to-day life is going to look like in that basically job they've created for themselves, right? They don't know what it's going to look like. So once we dial down on this is what your life's going to be like and this because I'm going to push them towards the achievement of what it is that they say that they want. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, what I think happens is, is they get authentic and real with themselves and they get honest about what they're willing to do and not willing to do. Sometimes that results in them continuing forward with what they said that they were going to want in full force and achieving those results. Sometimes it means letting go completely and saying, you know what, I thought I wanted this and you've been pushing me towards it and I don't. Must be a big realization when, when what they are pushing towards, what they thought they they wanted, is what they wanted. That's right. It's either not what they wanted, or when they found out what they really had to do in order to achieve it. Because you hear these people who are like, you know, I want to have five million dollars, and this is this, and okay, all right, so let's break mm-hmm. it down. Like, what is this going to look like? How do we achieve that? How much money do you have for this? Okay, so we don't have any money to put towards the building of this business. All right, so we have to look at, is this a service-based business where you're going to have to go out and get your own clients? And you can absolutely on a, you know, a grassroots approach, or do we need to do fundraising? So once we start getting really real, they get, they're faced with it. And there's no fear with me because I'm not judging. I don't really mm-hmm. care what they decide. I just want them to be happy. Yeah, you just, you, you just want them to be clear of what they actually want. That's right. And I can't tell you how often I find out that what they want has really nothing to do with what they want. It has to do with what somebody else wants for them. Mm. That'd be be very, very common. Yes. Unfortunately, ridiculously common. And that's that whole, we don't even realize that we've adopted this thing and then we've become a doctor and we don't even want to be a doctor, but our parents wanted us to be. Mm -hmm. And now what do you do? You know, so there's that. I guess it comes back down to then, I guess, earlier on, on in our conversation about finding mentors and finding people around you that can provide another perspective and, and mm-hmm. sort of further along the journey that can, in some sense, show us the way. Absolutely. I mean, entrepreneurship for me, I love it. It's awesome. It does create a certain amount of freedom. But some people are better served having a job because when you look at what is entailed in being an entrepreneur, you might not like that. You might, your personality might not fit that position and it's okay if you end up deciding that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Right. You know, you exactly, you might be better served working in an organization and making a difference through that system than coming up with your own system. That's fine. It's not a step backwards. If you're doing what you can be doing to, to make a difference or to make the world a better place. And, exactly. You know, it doesn't really matter how you do it. Just do what, what feels right for you and what you mm-hmm. feel like you can do consistently over, over that long period of time. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, in my career, I have had those moments where I'm thinking to myself, am I nuts? Like it would be so much easier to just have a job to do and then I could go home at night and let it go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do love being an entrepreneur, obviously. Yeah. I'm sort of dabbling with the two at the moment, but it's uh, running this, the, yeah, running the stories behind the grind, I guess, community and, um, and podcast is, uh, for me, a great way to, to share authenticity and, and great stories with other people. Yeah, I love it. A uh, question that I'd like to ask all guests on the, on the podcast is, what's your definition of the grind? <laughs> That's funny. The grind is, it's what I do. 
it's my mission. It's my purpose. It's my, my mojo. I think grinding it out is awesome because it's what gives me usefulness. It makes me feel like I'm contributing. I love my grind. Mm. It's a really good answer. It's, um, I, love, I love hearing everyone's, um, everyone's perspectives. And I guess it comes back down to what, what your perception or what your view of the word grind means. Because for some people, people say, I don't like doing, you know, the grind is the stuff that you don't like doing. But it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective, in which, in which case it's the opposite. It's everything that you love doing. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I didn't always have that perspective, but I believe that, you know, when I have downtime, I'm a fairly energetic person. So when I say downtime, I mean, I'm not doing another activity, say with my husband or my daughter or a friend or something like that. I stare at the walls and it's not my favorite place to be. And so I think for many years, I saw my work as the negative version of the grind that you mentioned. I don't feel that way at all anymore. I think I'll probably work until I'm 100. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have your commitments every day right now, Mm -hmm. right? Well, Mm -hmm. so do I, and it's through my business. So through Mm -hmm. my business, I can help people transform their thinking. Literally think about their life and the people in their life and their business in a brand new way that suddenly opens up all this possibility that we can then take action on. And then all of a sudden, six months later, they have a new business or they have new energy or you know their life doesn't look the same. The way they think about their life is different. And I get to do that. And so what's more awesome than that? Oh, nothing. That That's powerful. And I guess... Something that you could do forever. Uh, yeah, I really could. I went on the wild side a few times, took on more, you know, multiple businesses, tried other things, dialed back down on some things. I always come back to what I love, which is what I'm doing now. That's amazing. Amy, where can, where can people find more about you? Um, my website, amyapplebaum.com. Super easy. It's all there. I would love to learn more about your audience and, what their ambitions are. So come visit me anytime. You can find me on Facebook. It's Amy Applebaum. My Twitter handle, same thing. I don't do that much on Instagram yet. I'm working on it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for dedicating this last hour to coming on the podcast. Really, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's a total honor that you had me on here. Have a great weekend as well with, with your family. Thank you so much. And you too. And I really appreciate again that you invited me to share some time and learn a little bit about you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Would really appreciate it if you left a rating. For more inspiring stories and advice, follow Stories Behind the Grind on Instagram and Facebook.